Good morning. We're in Luke 5, 1 through 11. If you'd please stand for the reading of God's word. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowded, crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked, asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Yeah, hearing Shay's story, I have some serious questions about our volunteer hiring practices. It's <laughs> very suspect. We'll take just about anybody around here, apparently. Good morning, everybody. Um, well, as you know, we're in this Encounter with Jesus series, and we're looking at these uh, individual moments that he has with people that are so, I just think, just show us his heart. And uh, today feels very different than last week. Last week, we looked at this encounter with Nicodemus, who is this, um, you know, venerated spiritual expert. And now you have this encounter with Simon, who's a, he's a blue-collar fisherman, very, very different kinds of people. And we get to see uh, what Jesus has to say to each one of them. Uh, as I was thinking about this story this week, I realized this is a fishing story. Uh, this is what this is. It's a fishing story in more ways than one. And I'm curious, how many, um, how many fishermen or fisherwomen in the uh, crew, okay? And again, not, not too many, okay? Um, we grew up fishing every, every summer in the Sierras, and uh, so I have a bit of fishing experience. Um, but this is a fishing story. It's a story about uh, four fishermen, Simon and then uh, his brother Andrew and James and John. But the, the question that the passage leaves us with, of course, is who's the real fisherman in this story? Spoiler alert, answer is always Jesus. <laughs> um, but I realize this is a story about four fishermen who get caught uh, by the true fisherman, Jesus. And so we get, to, we get to see Jesus, the fisher of people, in action. And my, my hope is that we would see his heart today in some fresh way, that you'd see the heart of a fisherman uh, for people, and not just that we'd see it, but that we'd catch his heart, that, that our hearts would become more aligned uh, with his heart. 
So that's what I hope us, for, for us to do is to see the heart of Jesus in this passage. Um, let me just show you, you know, we're at the, this is the, it says uh, the Lake of Gennesaret. That's another description. This is the Sea of Galilee. So some of you in this room have been to Galilee. Um, here's, a, here's the shoreline of Galilee. The climate's very similar to ours, actually very similar to Southern California. Uh, here's a fairly uninspiring but very typical uh, shot of the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee. So I just want to give you a sense of like, picture what this scene would have uh, looked like in terms of the climate. Um, so let's just jump right in. Uh, let's start with Jesus. Consider him. Uh, verse 1, look at it again. Uh, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Okay, they're, they're crowding him. They are, they are um, captivated by him. They are, they are, everyone wants to be close to him. They're hungry, right? They're, they, uh, these are people who live hard lives. These are ordinary, just kind of village folks trying to make it. And there's this rabbi who is offering something fresh and new and compelling and hopeful and different. And um, I, we could say the fish are hungry. You know, they're, they're like, they're interested so much so that they're, they're crowding him. And um, he needs to create some separation, right? So he asks Simon, can I, would you, you know, can I borrow your boat? Would you push me off a little bit? So he imagine him about, you know, 20 feet out into the lake just to create a little bit of separation so that he can actually speak to the people without being crowded. That's how how hungry these people are for what he's offering them. So, but I just want you to picture that. Jesus is in a literal fishing boat. What is he doing? He is fishing. That's precisely what he's doing. He's casting the net of God's kingdom message out to these people, wondering who's, who's hungry for this message. It's a message of repentance and truth and hope and God and salvation. But he's, he's fishing. That's what he's doing. And wh- what I want you to do today, I was just compelled by that image. I want to try to, us to see Jesus' heart, okay? So I want you to actually imagine this scene from his vantage point, okay? So imagine being on this boat, you know, 20 feet offshore, looking back at the shoreline through his eyes, okay? Picture this. And these people, these ordinary village folks who are hungry, who are, who are wanting something fresh and new. I want you to picture those people. And I want to give you another uh, description of Jesus' heart one time when he sees a group of people. It's not in this passage, but similar. This is in Matthew 9. It says, when he saw the crowds, so I want you to imagine in this case the crowds all along the shoreline, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Okay, picture seeing through Jesus' eyes this group of people who are described as harassed and helpless. Okay, these are people who are harassed by life. Life is hard. There's lots of burden. There's lots of anxieties. There's lots of responsibilities. And he sees that, okay? And he sees them as being helpless, helpless to solve their, their deepest problems and needs in life, right, which is their own hearts and in their life with God. He looks out at people, and there's a bunch of sin that he's looking out at too, right? Brokenness. But he sees harassed and helpless, and his overwhelming feeling towards them is one of compassion. His, 
his, in the Greek, his guts go out. His heart is going out to these people. This is how he sees the crowds that he interacts with. And I just, I just thought that was very compelling to me. And I think, think about us today. When you look out at the world around you, okay, at the crowds, at, the, at just the, the world, what, what are the eyes that we see our world today through? And I think oftentimes as Christians, sometimes it's not through the eyes of compassion, not always, right? Sometimes it's through an eyes of like, gosh, the world is such a dark and broken and messed up place these days. And I wonder if, if all of us, if, if I just said, fill in this sentence, the world today is dot, dot, dot. You know, what would we, what, how would we finish that sentence? And what I love here is Jesus sees all the brokenness, all the, all the sin and mess of the world of his day. But he also sees it through the eyes of compassion. And he, he, um, he, wants, he wants to be their shepherd. He wants to lead them and guide them. Or in our passage, we say he wants to catch them. He wants to, he's a fisherman who wants to catch them for God's kingdom. So all that to say, Jesus is fishing uh, with a heart of compassion for harassed and helpless people. Okay? Uh, now let's look at these uh, actual fishermen for a moment. Uh, you've got these, these guys here. Uh, verse 2, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. So, yeah, they're washing their nets uh, in the morning because in the ancient world and even today, uh, when you go out and fish with nets, you do that at night, right? You go out all night. Uh, they're on the Sea of Galilee all night. You fish. Fish can't see the nets as easily in the nighttime. You fish all night, uh, and then, you, you know, you bring up the fish in the morning, and you clean the nets, and you sell the fish to market. If anyone's been down to Newport Pier on a Saturday morning, you know exactly what that looks like, Right? Uh, and, and Luke doesn't men mention their emotional state in this moment, but uh, I think we can imagine how they're feeling right now. And it is, um, they're a little dejected, right? They're probably a little frustrated. They, they went out all night, we're going to find out, fished all night, professional fishermen. Do you have something? No fish. Oh, gosh, I thought either like Bruce was being, you're totally tracking me. I thought either my fly's down or there's something like you were, I thought you were trying to get my attention. Whew, okay, good. Sorry. <laughs> I just wanted to clarify, because I would have been thinking the rest of the time. You were actually tracking, and I appreciate that. No fish, right? Sorry, I've completely distracted us all, but that's um, what happens when you say what's in your mind. Um, no, you're not. That's, that's on me, for sure. Thank you for tracking. I appreciate the feedback. Focus. Gunlock. Come on. Get back here. Um, professional fishermen spent the night fishing. This is their lake. They know this place. They come up empty. Uh, they're tired. They're frustrated. They didn't come to hear Jesus that day, right? They're just doing their work, and their livelihood is dependent on fish, and they have nothing to sell. So they're pretty bummed. Um, so verse 3, uh, Peter actually elicits Simon's help. I need your help, Simon. Can I use your boat, right? And um, which, if a rabbi asks you to do that, you probably say yes. Peter's probably, again, tired, a little frustrated, but okay. So I picture Jesus out on the boat. Simon's there with him. Simon may be kind of rowing, keeping the boat, sort of facing the people out there and listening to this rabbi. Uh, nothing too surprising there. Uh, and then in verse 4, Jesus says something utterly surprising to this fisherman, right? Verse 4, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Okay? I love Simon's response. Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. 
Uh, but because you say so, I will let down the net. So can I read between the lines a little bit in his tone there, right? Uh, Jesus, you're a rabbi. We're fishermen, right? Like, this is what we do. Um, we grew up in this lake. Uh, we know the best spots. Uh, we are professionals. We've worked hard all night. If we haven't caught anything, there's nothing to be caught, right? You're a rabbi. We're fishermen. Where are you from? You're like from Nazareth, right? That's not exactly lakeside, right? You're kind of an inlander. Um, you stick to rabbiing, and we'll, we fish. This is what we do, okay? I hear, I mean, there's some, something in that, like, come on, right? Um, uh, the, you know, I'm trying to avoid throughout the series, like, referencing the chosen every week. Um, and I'm, like, tempted just to push play, and, like, my job would be so much easier. But uh, I'm not going to do that, and I won't reference it. But the, my favorite moment in all of the chosen is, is their depiction of this moment where uh, they're at the shore, and Peter does not want to, you know, let down the nets. He's so frustrated. He's like, fine, I'll do it. And he goes, and, he, and they, they cast the nets, and he looks at Jesus, and he goes, and Jesus looks at him and is like, hmm, like that. And then right then, like, thousands of fish just, like, attack these nets. And I love, I love that moment. When they had done so, verse 6, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break, Okay. So they signaled their partners. I heard a commentary say they didn't actually shout to their partners. They just went like this because you don't want anyone else on the lake knowing that you found a good hole. You know, so they're silently signaling to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Okay? It's comical. It's, it's so over the top, this catch of fish. Clearly a miraculous catch of fish. Look at the response, verse 8. When, P- when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Okay, these guys' minds are blown. And I want you to try to get inside their heads this morning. Think about this. Like, they were listening to a rabbi talk about spiritual things, right? And all of a sudden, they discover... This is no mere rabbi who's an expert in spiritual matters. This guy controls fish. Right? Like, that, that's, like this guy calls fish, and they respond. That's an entirely different kind of thing altogether. Like, this guy, he has, he has control over fish. He, he has control over over creation, and it, I, I know it was, it's clear from Peter, it's very humbling, right? This guy's a better fisherman than we are. And we spent our whole night, all our expertise, nothing. This guy, with a word, he catches more fish than we've ever caught. This might be the first time he's ever fished in his life. Who is this man? And, and Peter is, is uh, just struck by the, I'd say, the gap between the kind of person he is and clearly the kind of person Jesus is, whatever this Jesus is now. I mean, they're, they're on two completely different planets, right? And, and he, that's what he feels. And so he responds, right, um, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. I love Peter. He's such a impulsive, just wears his heart on his sleeve. He says what he's thinking. Sometimes it gets him in a lot of trouble. Here it's a beautiful, I think, expression of, of humility, Right? And he feels it, like, and maybe he feels a little bad about the way he responded at first, I don't know. But he just feels the utter 
gap and, and whatever this man who controls the fish of the seas in him. And he's afraid. Feels his, I'm a broken, sinful man. It's a great response, I think. And I love Jesus' response even better. Look at the second half of verse 10. I love how he starts. Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. He's going to say that to Simon a lot in his ministry. But here is the first time he hears it. Don't be afraid, Simon. All that power you just saw, all that authority, I'm not going to use that authority and power to judge you and to condemn you. I'm not going to do that. I am going to use it to change your life. And then, Luke doesn't include this, but in Matthew and Mark's account, Jesus speaks these two important words. Follow me. Simon, follow me. And those words, that's a formal call, I think, that represented Jesus' formal call into discipleship, uh, into discipleship, into his kind of group of disciples, and he's a rabbi. And that call would have been, I think, thoroughly unexpected for several different reasons. One is, Usually in the first century, first century rabbis actually didn't initiate and call their own students. They would go around teaching, and then students who wanted to be a part of their group would ask to join, and oftentimes the rabbis wouldn't respond right away. They would make them kind of follow and do the work for a while, almost like have a probationary period to see how serious they were about it. So oftentimes rabbis didn't initiate. Uh, they had The students would have to initiate with the rabbi, and Jesus turns that on its head. And he says, I'm coming after you, Simon. I choose you. And of course, also Andrew and James and John. Uh, and the other thing is, first century rabbis usually took only the brightest and the best. Right? They, they take those who, who um, made it through scribe school and, and Torah training. And these were, these were the, the, the brightest people. And eventually, if they worked hard enough, they could be part of this group. And... Um, and Peter and his companions are not that, right? They didn't, they didn't make it through scribe school. That's why they went into their father's trade of catching fish. Acts 4 refers to them as unschooled, ordinary men. I love that. These are unschooled, ordinary guys. These, these are not world changers. These are not the, the, the cream of the crop. These are unschooled, ordinary men. And Jesus, this man who's just displayed his authority, says, I choose you. You're precisely the people I want to be a part of my group. Would have been, a, I think, an amazing experience to have Jesus say those words. The, the passage ends in verse 11. They pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. And normally we marvel at, like, the, the sacrifice, like the... Wow, that's a radical response, and it very much is. But they just gave up everything to follow Jesus. But I think what we also would want to feel is, but this is an honor. This is to have a rabbi like Jesus choose you, initiate with you, and say, I want you. Okay, that would have been a beautiful honor, utterly shocking surprise for these men. And they say, yes, they're compelled, and they're caught <laughs> by him. And they follow. I told you this is a fishing story, right? It is. It's a fishing story about four fishermen who get caught, unexpectedly caught by the power of Jesus, by the love of Jesus, by the grace 
of Jesus, by the, the choosing of them by Jesus. And they, they get caught. They, they had no idea that morning that they were going to get caught. They had hoped to catch some stuff, and they ended up catching some stuff, um, but they got caught. And then, really, the, the thing I want to kind of focus the rest of our time on is Jesus' final words to them in this passage after he says, don't be afraid. Again, Matthew and Mark, he says, follow me. And then this phrase, from now on, you will fish for people, right? This was built into his calling of them. I'm calling you into relationship with myself, and part of what that means is from now on, you will fish for people. You just got caught by me, and now I want you to help me catch others, okay? I want you to fish for people. All your lives, you have been fishing for fish. You know how to do that. You know how to, what it was like to go out into, you know, this dark lake at night and prepare your boats, prepare your nets, cast those nets out, grab fish, bring them into market, right? That's what you've done your whole life. Now I want you to do that for people. I want you to go out into this, this dark world full of harassed and helpless and broken people. I want you to prepare this message of the kingdom of God's truth and his grace and his salvation, and I want you to cast that net out to people. And there's going to be some hungry people, some caught people, and I want you to bring them in, not to market, to sell them, to kill them, <laughs> but I want you to bring them into the kingdom to give them life. All your life you've fished for fish, now I want you to fish for people. I want you to partner with me. What I did for you, I want you to help me now do for others. And I, I, I have no idea, like, I wonder what that, how they experienced that statement the first time, or if they understood what he was saying, what they would have felt. Um, I don't know. I, I would imagine they would feel pretty overwhelmed, like, if they actually understood what he was saying. Like, I'm going to use you to go out and change the world and bring people into my kingdom. I would think that four ordinary fishermen would have been very overwhelmed um, by that. Again, they maybe didn't even understand it in the moment. But I would assume they would be very overwhelmed, wondering, like, who are we, right? How can we possibly do this? And, um, and that's what I think is so brilliant about the catch of fish that Jesus gives them that first day. And I want you to think about this. What, what was that catch of fish all about? Um, of course, it was about getting their attention, <laughs> right? He, he got their attention, and he demonstrated his authority, right? They thought he was a spiritual guru. They just found this guy has authority over, over life. Um, so he demonstrates their authority. He, it's how he catches them. But I actually think the catch of fish was meant to communicate something more to them, very intentionally, that the catch of fish was like a, a parable for them, like a metaphor, a foreshadowing of what their whole ministry was going to be about, which was this. You guys are going to go out and catch people for me. But I'm telling you right from the beginning <laughs> that that is not going to happen by your own power and by your own expertise and by your own strategies. And I want you to know it from the beginning, so I've shown it to you very clearly. So look at what I did for you. I actually put you through an exercise in futility. 
right? And that's what they experienced the night before. And now, as I've thought through this, I'm like, I, I wonder if Jesus had something to do with the fact that they didn't catch any fish. Like, really, four professional fishermen, no fish all night? Like, that's a little strange. But I think Jesus was showing them, I'm going to put you through this exercise in futility and your own expertise and strength, right, and know-how, and then I'm going to just do something that you could never do in my power, and I'm going to tell you something about this catch of people that I have for you that you'll know from the beginning it is going to be by my spirit and by my power and by my authority, not by your own. And so we're going to watch these men as we read the Gospels, and then you go into the, you know, the book of Acts especially, and they're going to start catching people for the kingdom. Uh, but it's so clear as you read that book that the, the power to catch people does, does not lie with them. That is the spirit of Jesus who is out in front of them bringing these things about. So you've got the, the classic example is, is Acts 2, the, the day of Pentecost, when all these people are gathered in Jerusalem, and Simon, this fisherman, stands up and preaches a sermon, casts the net of the kingdom, and 3,000 people become believers that day. It's a great catch of people. But it is so obvious that it is the spirit of Jesus who is catching people, not these simple men. And so I see from the beginning Jesus is saying, you don't need to worry about who you are. <laughs> you don't need to worry about your credentials, any of that. Um, this is going to be in my power and by my spirit. And so he gives them this miracle. And you'll remember, we'll actually look at this after Easter, after his resurrection, he gives them the very same miracle again. Again, they're back at, at the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and there's this amazing catch of fish. And then he sends them out. And he gives Peter the same command, follow me, at the end of his life. Follow me and, and feed my sheep. It's a beautiful story. I love this story. Um, and let me just take a minute to close. I just want to step back and, and um, think about our own lives, okay, in light of these fishermen. What, what does Jesus have for us? And, you know, we're, we're talking about Jesus as the great fisherman and um, what it's like to be caught by him and uh, called by him, experience his grace, to experience his authority in our lives. And then, once we're called to him, what does it mean to join him in this mission to, to catch others, if I can use that phrase? This is what we're invited into. And again, I said at the beginning, I want us to see his heart. And I think so much of this is catching Jesus' heart for people and for the world. And let me just put this up one more time. Um, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, right? Because they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. This is the heart of Jesus for our world. And do you know what he says next? After this, I'm, I'm going to show you what he says next. Um, this is the very next thing he says. With that heart of compassion, his disciples are with him in this moment, and he says this. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. It's a mix. We were dealing with fishing. Now we're talking about harvesting. It's about, right, bringing people into the kingdom. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus looks at a world that is harassed and helpless. And he goes, you know what this world needs? It needs more 
workers, people who are willing to go out with my same heart of compassion to reach out to people with grace and truth and offer the gospel so that more people might receive life. That's what this world needs is more people who have a fisherman's heart like mine to go out. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I, I look out at the world and I feel like I feel like the problem is there's just not that many people interested in the gospel anymore. Like, I feel like there's just, they're doing their thing and there's, there's not enough, there's not a harvest. There's not enough people interested. And at least Jesus' perspective is, oh, there's always people who are interested and hungry. The problem is there's not enough disciples who are willing to go out and reach out to these people and love them and offer them the same compassion that I have for them. And so in this, we have this Jesus who's saying, I'm looking for partners in this mission, right? Uh, I want you to have the same heart that I have. And I want to send them, I want to send you to them to love them, to speak the truth to them, to gather them in that they could receive life too. I have caught you, and I want you to help me catch others. Uh, I'll never forget this question. Gary Haugen, who's the president of I, IJM, came and preached here one time, and he asked us this question, what is God's plan for convincing the world that he's good? And the answer was, we are. I thought, shoot, that's a, that's a compelling and convicting plan of God's. Uh, but we're sent uh, into this world to help convince the world that God is good. And... Um, we're each sent in very different ways, right? Some of us, we've had people in this community that have been sent to other parts of the world, actually, to cast the net. Um, some of us are sent across the street to our neighbors or across the office to our coworkers or even to our own family members, right? We're, we're sent in, in our various ways um, to be fishers of people. And I, I want to go back to that phrase, harassed and helpless. Um, as we look out at a world, that that phrase, harassed and helpless, can take so many different forms in this world. And uh, let, let me give you an example of a form that can take. Um, two doors down right now, right? The city purchased a property that is now a shelter. It's a temporary bridge shelter for people who have been living on the streets. There are about 70 residents there currently who are now temporarily housed. And um, we haven't been able to really be there because of COVID restrictions, and that's kind of gone on for longer than we thought, but that is all loosening up, and this year, things are opening up, and we are going to do our best just to bring love and fun and grace and joy into that space, okay? But that's a group of people who have been harassed, who are harassed and helpless. In a, it's a particular form of harassed and helpless, okay? Um, but some of you have next-door neighbors who live in $5 million homes, who are harassed and helpless in their own ways, who are living lives that are very lonely, very burdened, um, very hard lives. And so there's no one shape that harassed and helpless takes. But the call is that we're sent with the compassionate heart of Jesus to try to help them see the kingdom. And um, let me leave you with this. Um, in a second, we're going to actually spend a little bit of time in prayer, ha having each of us consider, like, Jesus, where, where are you wanting me? To, who are you wanting me to engage with? Okay, so we're actually going to give you a little time to think about that for yourself. Um, but let me just leave you with two encouragements. Um, 
I'm not good at this. I'll just tell you. This is like reaching out to people who don't know Jesus. That is not my strong suit. I would not say um, people would, would fault grace for being overly zealous in our evangelistic attempts historically. Okay, I think there's it's a room for growth, and I'm, I'm very much in that, in that boat. Um, and so I want to encourage myself and encourage us as we think about that, wherever you think you have a context to do that with these words or with these ideas. The first is what I've already said is this. It's just a reminder that, that the catch is never up to us. <laughs> Thank the Lord, right? There is no pressure that I need to say the right thing, right? I need to have all the answers. Uh, I need to, you know, present something in a way that people, that's palatable or wh- whatever. Like, I've got to figure out a way to do this because it's, it's going to be in my delivery or in my knowledge. That's how this is going to happen. And what we learn from this story is that is so not the case. Jesus is like, this is my deal. I send you out, but this is my deal. You fish, I catch, okay? That's how this works. You fish, I catch, and so we're just called to go out and to fish. And um, I had someone say this recently that was so good. Uh, they said, when it comes to like taking those steps of stepping out, we need to become a community that celebrates the risk um, before we celebrate the win. And meaning like, hey, let's not celebrate the win. Like I had this amazing conversation. The person was like, yeah, I want to know Jesus. Is there a prayer I can pray? Oh, here's the prayer you can pray. And we sealed the deal. And, you know, like, like no, like, Here's what we need to start celebrating. You know, I was at the grocery store, and um, I don't know, I felt, I just saw this person, I just felt prompted just to step over there and just talk to her for a minute. And I just kind of leaned in, and it was, it was awkward. Honestly, it was a disaster. Um, I didn't know what to do. I was awkward and nervous. I think she felt sorry for me. She prayed for me. It was powerful. (laughs) Um, But I did it. I did it. And, like, we need to celebrate the risks, that's awesome, right? Like, that's, that we need to become a community that celebrates the risks. And it's up to Jesus. So I just, all that to say, pressure's off, right? There's no pressure. It's, it's all Jesus. And then the last thing I wanted to say is, is just, I'm, I'm struck by the, the intricate connection between these disciples being caught themselves by Jesus and then being called into a life where they will seek to catch others. And, and what I want to say about that is it's, it's our experience of being caught. That's the motivation for wanting others to be caught. Like not some like general moral obligation. I know that good Christians are supposed to evangelize, and so I'm going to do this out of some sense of I know I'm supposed to be doing that. Sometimes that's still the right reason to do something. But no, like we need to go back to how did Jesus catch me? How did I experience his grace? or his truth, or his love, or what, however we experience that. We need to sit in that a lot. We need to feel that, um, because that is going to be the thing that we're like, I want my friends to have that, right? Like, I want my coworkers, I want my family members. Like, who wouldn't want that? And it's going to happen differently in their lives than in mine, but it's the experience of being caught. That is the motivation, Jesus is awesome to me. I love what he's done in my life. Man, I wish everybody on the planet had some small experience of that, right? That's the motivation. I love Shay's story. Shay got caught by Jesus. That guy, you don't know his background. He had no business ever being a Christian. I'll just tell you that much, right? His grandma was the only religious person he knew, okay? No business being a Christian. He got caught by Jesus, and that has shaped his life. I promise you, he has a... He has an evangelistic bent 
on his life because of Jesus catching him. And so that's really, I think, what we're called into is just this gratitude, this reminder of all the ways that Jesus has caught us. And then it's just like, why wouldn't I want other people (laughs) to experience that? So with that, we, we want to just give us some time to actually like sit and say, God, like who, what are you doing in me? Who, who are you wanting me to be more mindful of? And so we're going to spend some time in prayer. So Christina's going to come up right now and lead us in prayer. And then Mark's going to come up after her and lead us in another prayer. I had chills, actually, as Dave was talking, because this is what we want to be praying about. We want to be praying for God to give us a vision for what this invitation he has for us to catch people. And um, it happens only by his spirit. And so for his spirit to move, we just come to him and we ask him to do that. So that's what we want to take time to do this morning, is I want you to think about the rhythms of your life right now. We all have very different rhythms the circles that we find ourselves in, the places God has us, whether it be at work or a family or neighbors, or even as Dave said, just your supermarket or your coffee shop rhythms. And I want you to take a moment to think about who is God wanting to give you a vision to have compassion for them as Jesus would that are maybe harassed and helpless in ways that we don't even see, but they're desperate for Jesus' compassion. And that compassion comes through us as we are an extension of God's kingdom and invite others into his kingdom. So I'm going to give you a a time of just quiet. And I want you to just think about your rhythms. And I want you to ask God, who are you wanting to give me a vision to come alongside and be a a a catcher of people to love and um, share the gospel with. So let's just take a moment of silence and think about our rhythms. Father, we pray now that you would show us the invitation you have for us, that you would, by your spirit, begin to plant names and faces on our hearts Lord, we thank you that you know every name and face that went through our minds in this last moment. We trust that you've put them there. And so, God, we pray that you would give us a vision for what it means to be kingdom-minded in their lives, to express who you are, to take the risk, as Dave said, to be bold and courageous. Father, we pray that you would give us your eyes that we would see where the needs are, that you would speak through us, that you would truly allow us to um, taste of what it means to catch people, this, this beautiful picture you've invited us into. Father, we also acknowledge we can't do this on our own. We need you to do the work. We need your spirit to be moving Father, in fact, we don't want to step outside of you. We want to step, be in step with you. So we pray that we would be in t- attuned to your voice, that we would be led by you. Father, we, um, we thank you that we have been caught, that we have tasted of your grace and your goodness and your truth, that we have encountered you. 
And I pray that you would give us just a deep longing for others to experience that as well. I pray that we wouldn't be a people who are insular, that we would look outside ourselves. Would you come and do this work in each one of us here, even now? Amen.